go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. It's always an honor and a joy. I don't know where our beloved PT went, the fixer of all things. Um, honor, <laughs> honor and a joy to be able to minister the Word of God today. I love Mother's Day. Love all of you. And you know, I, I also want to say... A very happy Mother's Day. Oh, there we go. Not just to natural moms, but I know there's many spiritual mothers in here. There may be some stepmoms. There may be some godmothers. There are some exceptional aunts. So happy Mother's Day to all you women, because I know you influence and impact lives every single day. And I can also tell by looking at the congregation that we have mothers on Probably in every stage of life. Some of you are just starting out. You've got those sweet little babies. Some of you have the little, you know, more the adolescents. And some of you have teenagers. God bless you and God help you. And then many of you are, are like we are. You're in the stage of adult children and the grandparent stage. Yay. I like what I heard someone say. If I knew that grandkids were going to be so great, I would have had them first. But, you know, <laughs> doesn't quite work that way, does it? And then I also heard somebody say about, you know, raising kids, that raising children, being a mom, is full of frustrations and challenges. But eventually, they move out. So, anyhow, <laughs> that's kind of also <laughs> where we're at. But today, I'm going to, it's kind of an unusual message, but before we get into this, um, I wanted to show you a little clip just because I wanted you to see how cute our youngest granddaughter, they're all just adorable, but this is Lucy, she's just turned three in April, and her mother, Lindy. And they were, this little video, they sent it to us, is just a wonderful example of life lessons that we can teach to our children at every age of their lives. And I want to do a little disclaimer. I asked Lindy if I could show this, and she said, yeah, but just, you know, do a little disclaimer because it's about something that Lucy said that they have instructed their kids not to say. So if you say this in your home, or your kids say this, there's no judgment here, but it's just to show that, you know, when you have a standard in your home and you want your kids to say certain things and they say they don't say certain things and they say it, how our approach should be. So look with me at this adorable little girl, Lucy, <laughs> and her mother, Lindy. <laughs> hey, Lucy, tell Daddy what you said. Okay. Oh my God. You did. Are you supposed to say that? No. What are we supposed to say? Um. Only oh horse. Oh my horse. <laughs> That's right. Good job. <laughs> so let me just say this also. They have, they have a little neighborhood girl that comes over and plays all the time. And she says this phrase, lots. I've heard her say it down there. And I was kind of thinking, well, you know, Lucy's going to pick up on that because she hears it all the time from this little neighborhood girl. So they had told her to say, oh, my goodness. And we have no idea where she came up with, oh, my horse. But that's what she has elected to say. Oh, my horse. So anyhow... <laughs> 
I just wanted to say, good job, Lindy. You could see that she did not overreact, and she held it together when she wanted to bust up laughing when Lucy said, oh, my horse. If you listen real close, you can hear Olivia, her older sister in the background, did lose it because they're like, where in the world did that come from? But raising kids is challenging, but it's also a wonderful experience. And children, the Bible says, our children are heritage of the Lord. And our seed is blessed. And as parents, as grandparents, we have this opportunity to train and to nurture children in the ways of the Lord. I found this scripture recently in the Amplified, and I really like it in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3. I want to start with this. Through skillful and godly wisdom is a house, a life, a home, a family built. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and good foundation. So we can all learn from this scripture through godly wisdom. It takes wisdom to live in this day and age that we're living in. To have a house become a home. People can live in a house, but it takes God helping you to have a home. If it's just you living in your home, you want a godly home. You want wisdom and understanding to be the foundation of your home. Can I get an amen? Amen. And that's only going to happen if we build our lives and our children's lives on a sure foundation. So many things, this the day and age we're living in, so many things are insecure. There's not a very secure place. The world is not very safe in the natural. And if we try to do everything in our own ability and in our own wisdom and our own strength, we're not going to have a sound, solid foundation. But how many of you in here today, you have built your life upon Jesus Christ. And he is the rock. He's the rock that does not roll. And he is a sure foundation. So that's so important as we, especially as parents, that we train our children in the ways of the Lord. We know there's lots of pools out there. There's lots of influences. There's lots of voices. But as parents, Our voices should be the loudest ones in our children's ears and in our grandchildren's ears, in your nieces and your nephews. Let them hear from you. Let them hear God through you speaking into their lives. Amen. Well, today I want to look at a woman in the Bible that maybe you've never heard of her. And I don't believe I'm making her name up. You can be the judge of that from Scripture. But um, a woman whom I have something in common with. Her name is Mrs. Zebedee. The Bible says she was the mother of James and John. A.K.A. the sons of thunder. Well, a few years ago, many years ago now, when Dad Hagen, our spiritual father, first came to our church over on our other location, we went over in pastor's office. And, of course, you know, we're, we had our boys with us. They were just little. And we were wanting them to be on their best behavior. The prophet of God is sitting in our office. 
And what do boys do? They're down on the floor. John always loved to put James in a headlock. Poor James. (laughs) Putting him in a headlock and then rubbing his head. He did that all the time. So they were doing something crazy like that. And So Brother Hagin, he's like, "Um, what are their names? I said, John and James. And he kind of laughed like he would. And he goes, oh, sons of thunder. And then he goes, apparently some days a little lightning too. Because they were just... Not sitting still and behaving. And when he said that, I thought, duh, Mark and I didn't think that through. Every time I say John and James, I'm saying sons of thunder. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> but they, they're good boys. But anyhow, so I have something in common with Mrs. Zebedee. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 20, <clears throat> verse 20 through 23. And I'm going to read this out of the... NLT, so you'll know I didn't make this up. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So it doesn't say what her name is, but if their dad was Zebedee, wouldn't it be safe to call her Mrs. Zebedee? So she came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. Verse 21. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able Next verse, you will indeed drink from the bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So I submit to you that Mrs. Zebedee has gotten a bad rap. I've heard stories about her through the years that, you know, She was so arrogant, so presumptuous, so pushy to assume that her kids could have this place of honor. But as I I got this in my heart to preach this, lessons from Mrs. Zebedee, I began to look into the scripture a little closer there. Notice Jesus did not rebuke her. She was just being mom. A mom who believed in her boys. I can relate. We have, of course, the two sons. And John played basketball. He loved basketball. And he was playing, I think it was his freshman year. And uh, there was an upperclassman that wasn't out, wasn't uh, at this particular game. So he played the whole game. And he did so great. And they won. And you know, Pastor and I were at all of his games, pretty much all of them. And mom was cheering, always loud. The embarrassing mom, you know what I mean? Ah! So I was so excited that he played this whole game and he played so well. Well, then the next week came and the coach didn't start him. And he put this other upperclassman in. And John played some, but not that much. And so at the end of the game, I'm sitting right behind the bench, got as close as we could to the action. And in my outdoor voice, does anybody know what your outdoor voice is? At the end of the game, I'm not, 
Pastor says he knows it. I, I, I don't think I have an indoor voice. But anyhow, in my extra outdoor voice, after the game, I yelled to John, Great game, son, but it would have been better if you'd played more. <clears throat> well, John was rather embarrassed. But this coach, and it was confirmed, it definitely was confirmed a few years later, this coach had issues. And so, <laughs> he didn't appreciate a mother's love and belief in her son. So they get back in the locker room, and John tells us later he was not happy with his mom because the coach railed on them about, I'm the coach, I'm in charge, I decide who plays when, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever, dude. But anyway, John had to get over it because, you know, moms will be moms, right? So let's look a little further, a little closer at Mrs. Zebedee. Let's not talk about my faults. Let's see what she did here. I'm going to talk about what she did right. And you can apply these to your life, whether you are a mom or a dad or not. The first thing that I noticed that she did, she knew who Jesus was. She clearly knew he was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Because the verse we read, the first verse says she came and she knelt respectfully before him. She showed him honor and respect. She was literally saying, I know you're the king of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And it was something that she personally must have been acquainted with. I'm sure, even though her sons were grown men, when she heard that they were hooking up with this Jesus of Nazareth, that being a good mom, I'm sure she started following them around. Who is this guy? I'm going to make sure my sons are not hooked up with the false prophet. And in that period, in that process of trying to discover who they were following, she also became a follower of Christ. And she showed him great honor and humility by coming and kneeling before him that day. The Bible says he honored her because she honored him. That's really what happened when he said to her, what can I do for you? What do you want? Because she honored him He honored her. And you know, the Bible says this. Those who honor me, I will honor. If we want the honor of Jesus and the favor of God on our lives to be evident to those around us, we need to honor him. We need to give him our best. It's not right to, you know, at the end of the day say, oh, let me give Jesus couple of minutes before I fall asleep. Or it's not the right example to say to our kids, well, you know, we've been really busy for the last three or four months. Maybe we should go to church. We haven't been there for about six months now. That's not honoring God. We should give him the best of our time, our talent, 
and our treasure. It's not teaching honor to our kids to say, oh, I'll go get, you know, go get my wallet. I think I have $10 in there and we're almost to the end of the month. So we should be okay. I want to, I want to plop a $10 bill in, you know, not, it's not about the amount, but it's about the heart. We need to honor God with our best and teach our kids to honor him. If we don't show our kids how to honor and respect other people, they won't know how to honor God. In this society in which we live today, it's, it's appalling how much lack of respect there is and how much lack of honor. You might be a millennial in here and, you know, God bless the millennials, God bless the children, this, that, whatever. But they still need to learn to honor their elders. To be kind to people, to be gracious to people, and to honor their parents. Teach your kids. If you want it to go well with you all the days of your life, then you need to honor me as your mother and as your father. I thought I'd get a better amen on that. Amen. And then Mrs. Z, we'll call her Mrs. Z. She petitioned the Lord on behalf. Of her sons. And what I see in that is that she was a praying mama. There is no greater gift that you can give to your children, your family, your relatives, than to lift them up in prayer, to surround them and undergird them with faith filled prayers. Amen. Uh, We know that it's good to give our kids natural things, but natural things that we give them will fade away. A bike will break. Video games don't last forever. Toys are a faddish kind of a thing. But prayer is an eternal investment. It will cling to them all the days of their lives. And it makes tremendous power available. James chapter 5 verse 16 in the Amplified. And it's a, a long passage in the Amplified. I just want to start with the last part. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Think of it. When we pray, there is power that is released. How many of you in here today are righteous? Well, not all of you raised your hand. How many of you in here are born again? More hands. If you're born again, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace, by what Jesus did for us. He made us a new creation. He made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He's the one that gave us right standing to approach the throne room of grace just like Sin never existed. So now how many of you are righteous? All right, more hands. That means when you pray, tremendous power is made available. Dynamic in its working. Dynamic comes from the same root word dynamite. What does dynamite do? It blows 
up hindrances. It gets roadblocks out of the way. It gets rid of things that are are stopping a passage to another destination. That's what your prayers do. I want to, you've all heard of Abraham Lincoln, right? Abraham Lincoln was president at our nation, of our nation in a very crucial time. God used him to abolish that ungodly, demonic slavery that was going on in our nation. But I saw something recently about a quote that he, he made. Abraham Lincoln said this, I remember my mother's prayers. They have followed me and clung to me all my life. Isn't that powerful? As I read that, I was thinking of the plan and the call and the purpose upon President Abraham Lincoln's life. He came into the kingdom for such a time as this. God gave him the courage and the stamina to make a tough decision. And you know that the forces of darkness were opposed to him making that declaration and putting our nation into the civil war. You know there was a battle in the heavenlies over that. But I believe part of the reason he was able to stand and to fulfill his call and his destiny were because his mother's prayers clung to him all the days of his life powerful purposeful prayer it paves the way for the impossible to become possible don't be concerned about well i can't give my kids this i can't give my kids that use your faith do the best that you can to give them things in the natural but the most important thing that you can give them is a spiritual heritage your prayers that live on forever and ever your prayers will cause the plan and the purpose of God to be established in their lives. I like this scripture in uh, Jeremiah. I didn't give them up there, but Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's out of the NIV. God knows the plans. That he has for your life. He knows the plans that he has for your kid's life. How do we discover those? If you see verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Hallelujah. Ask. Ask. That's how we know. Inquire of. Seek. Ask of the Lord what his plan is for your life. Ask of the Lord, how you should be praying over your children. Amen. Now, you know what? You can pray over your kids, but we can't decide the path that they are supposed to take. They have to figure that out for themselves. With both of our boys, I remember that John pretty much from the time he was a teenager, he always desired to go to Bible college. He knew that he had this call in his life and he was supposed to be a minister of the gospel. He had one slight little detour when he was a young teenager. Roller hockey was a big thing and him and some neighbor kids would get out the street and play roller hockey. And for, for a little phase there, he said he was going to be a roller hockey star. But dad came along and smashed those dreams, brought him back into reality. <laughs> 
<laughs> Son, don't think there's a career in that. But anyhow, so John, he followed the plan of God pretty much all, all the days of his life. But then there was, I always say, but then there was James. Does anybody... If they're sitting next to you, don't raise your hand. But does anybody or have you ever had a but then, kid? But then there was James. Raised, same home, same atmosphere, same prayers, same faith. But just like John was determined to follow God's plan, it seemed like James was determined to do anything except serve the Lord. We've had lots of sidetracks and lots of trials and tests with him. And I'm not going to glorify the devil. If you've been here very long, you know that we went through some things with James. But in the midst of that, we prayed, we used our faith, and we stood on the word. And I remember one time I was praying for him, and the Lord, the Holy Ghost, brought me to this passage of Scripture. So if you are right now in the midst of a, and then thing with one of your kids this is a good verse to stand on proverbs 29 i mean no actually proverbs 19 21 in the amplified many plans are in a man's mind but it is the lord's purpose for him that will stand say that with me that last part but it is the lord's purpose for him That will stand. The Lord's purpose for him. That will stand. We stood upon that scripture. We claimed the word of God. And God is faithful. I'm happy to report that James is doing God's will, plan, and purpose for his life today. Hallelujah. Was it always easy? No. Is it worth the fight? Yes. To have them stand and to do what they were born to do. He's a man of God. He's a godly husband. And this just astounds me. He's a dad. Are you kidding me? A godly dad. And I'm not sure if he was on the platform today, but many a Sundays now. He's on staff at Keith Moore's church in Branson, Missouri. And many Sundays we tune in before we come here and we see that guy. That guy that gave us so much trouble. That prodigal son. That one that was on his way to hell unless God intervened. We see him on the platform of one of the leading preachers in the world today, in my opinion, other than my husband, of course. (laughs) Brother Keith Moore, standing on that platform, playing the guitar for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Don't give up. Be a contender for your kids. Stand on your covenant right. Uh, The Bible says in Isaiah 54 uh, that great is the peace of our children and their uncomposed, uh, uh, great is their peace and undisturbed composure. They're blessed. 
The seed of my womb is blessed. Hallelujah. I have a covenant with a covenant keeping God. And it doesn't matter if your little one is six months old or 60 years old. Your prayers still make a difference. Contend for them. Stand in faith. Amen. Come boldly to the throne room of grace. And then the third thing that Mrs. Zebedee did. She had big expectations for her boys. No one can accuse her of not having vision. She figured it out. Okay, I know you are Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I know you have a kingdom, not of this world, but of heaven. And a king has a throne. So she figured this out all by her little self. If you're going to be sitting on a throne, somebody's going to be at your left hand and somebody at your right hand. Might as well be my boys. She had vision. The Bible tells us it's vision is a powerful thing. It will either make you or break you. Bible says in 29, uh, Proverbs 29, 18, this is in the King James where there is no vision. The people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. God doesn't want you to perish in life. He doesn't want you just going from pillar to post, not knowing why you're here on this earth, hopeless, visionless. He doesn't want that for you and he certainly doesn't want you instilling that into your children and your grandchildren. Give them vision. Give them God's vision for their life. Let them know his hand is upon them for good and part of the way that this vision is relayed is through words. Right words are containers. They paint pictures. It was obvious that Mrs. Zebedee and that household had instilled confidence into her sons. The very atmosphere in their home, it must have been just permeated with, you can do what God calls you to do. You can be who God cause you to be that's what we ought to be telling our kids we shouldn't say you are such a loser you are so stupid you'll never amount to anything and sometimes when people are divorced they add you're just like your dad don't you know no right words are forceful how forcible are right words amen they paint Pictures. So I believe it's obvious that she had great expectations for her sons. She'd given them vision. And when the Bible tells us, you know, that James and John were there. Can you imagine how they felt that mom believed so much in them that she would ask the master if they could sit on the left hand and on the right hand? Of his throne? Notice that she, when she came there, she brought them with her. They all knelt down. 
But I'm sure they were thinking, wow, mom really believes in me. And if you read the rest of that passage in Matthew 20, you'll see that the other disciples, they got upset. They were angry. The audacity. The nerve. Actually, they were probably thinking, where's my mama? Wish my mama believed in me like that. Wish my mama would have come and asked the master. But even though Jesus didn't grant Mrs. Z the request, you won't find in scripture he did not deny it either. He simply told her, the father will determine who sits there. We can learn from her. She wasn't arrogant. She wasn't pushy. She wasn't cocky. That's the flesh. Don't get in the flesh. Been there, done that. That doesn't produce any results. But we can be bold in the spirit. We can be bold and we can be contenders for God's best for our family. And then the fourth thing, and don't get overly excited because it's a little longer point. We're good, though. The fourth thing. She brought her sons to the feet of Jesus. She wasn't the one that was trying to plan out their lives. She said, I'm going to bring them to the feet of Jesus. You know, all of us as parents, we'd like to tell our kids... This is what you're going to do. You know, as, as they begin growing up, this is a path you're supposed to take. This is what you're supposed to do with your life. John and, uh, John and Lindy, they're going to be married 18 years this year. Wow. They got married young. But anyway, they worked with us for like four or five years. And in this process of time, John, I was the first one that he came to. He came to tell me that he was getting a stirring in his heart that they needed to move to Southern California and work with this ministry called Soul Survivor. And he came and sat down in my office over at the old building. And he said, Mom, I have to tell you something. The Holy Ghost is dealing with Lindy and I. And we're going to leave. And being the godly mom that I am, my first response, and I said it too, was, John, you don't need the Holy Ghost. You have a mom. <laughs> and mom says, you're not going. Of <laughs> course, I had to repent. Anybody else ever had to repent? I had to repent because I realized when they were little... John and James, one of the first trips to church as babies, we dedicated them to the Lord. And the Lord said to me, he's not yours anymore. You'll always be his mom. Pastor will always be his dad. But you gave me your son when he was a baby. Now, do you really mean it? You're going to keep him? In my hands, are you going to keep him at the feet of Jesus and let Jesus do what he wants to do in their life? Are you going to try to rule and dictate? There comes a time, parents, and I know by looking at the congregation, many of you are at this same stage with adult 
children. And there comes a time when we just have to let go and let God. They might make mistakes. Did you? They might miss it. Have you? But we have to leave them at the feet of Jesus. And say, I'm going to let go. And I'm going to let God. And I just hear the Lord just saying, trust me. Trust me. You've trusted me as your Savior. Trust me to take care of your kids. My hand is on them for good. And even if they have messed up, the Spirit of God is saying, I am a master at fixing any disaster. And there's many of you in here, at least some, you weren't born again when your children were little. And you live in regret over that. You live in torment over that. The devil brings condemnation with all this. You would have, you should have junk. You missed it. Now they're messed up. You know what? God never brings condemnation. He does not bring condemnation. You cannot go back into the past and change the way you raised your kids. But you can cling to the promise. I have a covenant with a covenant keeping God. He's bigger than my mistakes. And God doesn't ever bring condemnation. He offers forgiveness. And he says there's grace. There's grace now. For this season of life. There's grace for your race right now. We're called to be their mom, their dad, but we're not their savior. You can't save them from hell. You can't fix them. And you can't orchestrate the plans that God has for their lives. Like I tried to do with John. There is not a verse in the Bible that says as many as are led by mom. (laughs) They are the sons of God. Absolutely not. There is a time to just do what Mrs. Zebedee did. I'm bringing them to the feet of Jesus. And I'm asking you, Lord, to speak to their heart. If they're on the wrong course, if they've taken the wrong direction. I know my prayers can help get them refocused. But I know my nagging and my preaching is not going to change them. Only you, by the power of the Holy Ghost, can do that work in their heart. And guess what? He will. He will. So I want to exhort you today. Mom, dad, believer. If you've got cares and concerns, particularly if you're a parent, about your children, to cast them over on the Lord. Everybody else, whether you're a parent or not, there's things that come up in our lives that we are tempted to worry and to take the care of and to get anxious about. And we all need to act on this scripture on a regular basis. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting the whole of your care in the Amplified, all your anxieties, all your worries 
all your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and he cares about you watchfully. This is for us. He cares for all of us. And if he cares for you, how much more does he love and care for your children? How much more? But if we are carrying the care of them, we haven't brought them to the foot of Jesus. It's one thing to carry around a little baby that can't walk. But it's another thing when they've grown up and they weigh 250 pounds and now you're trying to carry them around. It gets heavy. It gets weighty. It don't work. (laughs) Doesn't work in the natural. It doesn't work in the spirit either. Casting the whole, all our concerns over upon him bringing those precious ones to the feet of Jesus hallelujah oh we thank you Lord thank you Lord right now for speaking to hearts thank you Lord for confirming this word in every one of our hearts if we need to make adjustments if we need to acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. If we need to get back on our knees and to call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. Oh, if we need, Lord Jesus, to bring some things to your feet today. I thank you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We make that choice and that decision. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Between services as I was praying. I wrote this down because it came so clear up in my heart. Just bow your heads for a moment. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking. He said that there's someone here who's overly concerned about your children, your teenagers, your adult children. Because they're involved in things that they shouldn't be involved in. Wrong associations and you've allowed fear fear of the future to grip your heart over what's going to happen to them because of these alliances and these associations Oh, but the spirit of God says oh, that my hand is upon them Your prayers are giving me entrance to minister to them. They can run, but they cannot hide from my presence. There's no place too dark and there's no pit too deep that my love won't reach them.